I'm going to go ahead and give a word of prayer. And then um, when we get ready to dismiss, if there's any special prayer requests, we will definitely pray over uh, the Vision Sunday and some other things. But I want to try to give as much time uh, to the lesson as possible. And if you have some pens and you want to take some notes, I would encourage you to do that or text some things to yourself uh, as well. Okay? Um, with that said, if we will bow our heads, let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we thank you again for tonight. We thank you for this day, this time, and opportunity. And Heavenly Father, as we get ready to go into your word again tonight, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you loan us all your mind, Father God, that we may be able to interpret thy word, Lord, that we take your word and not only hide it in our hearts, Heavenly Father, but we live that life as pleasing and acceptable in our eyesight. Bless all who came tonight. Bless all who made the sacrifice to be here tonight. And I pray, Heavenly Father, when we leave here tonight, Lord, that we leave better than what we came. For this is my prayer, I pray in Jesus' name. I pray. Let us all say together, amen. Amen. So tonight's scripture and what we're going to be dealing with tonight will be the gospel according to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 4 and verses 1 through 11. And I need a, um, let me see here, a volunteer, two volunteers just to read the first, one volunteer to read the first five verses and then the next volunteer to read verses 6 through 11 for me, please. Try to get some interaction from the class so I'm not doing all the talking. Okay? Do you need the mic or? Okay, thank you so much. Okay, and if somebody will read uh, the, the next verses all the way through verse 11 for me, please. Okay. Thank you so much. So when we look at tonight's uh, text and thinking about Matthew chapter 4 and verses uh, 1 through 11, um, and here's the title that I put down for uh, this uh, particular uh, set of scriptures right here or verses right here within this chapter. I want to talk about uh, tonight the most dangerous place for a Christian. The most dangerous place for a Christian. And so as you begin to look at your outline, there's some things I will say that's in your outline, but there's some things that I will also say that's not in the outline because I couldn't put everything in there. But uh, when you begin to um, look at the text and when you begin 
to uh, examine the text. The first thing that I want you to notice before we even get to the text, I want you to think about your own experience. And have you ever noticed after a lofty experience, a exciting time of worship in your life, or a huge blessing in your life, then the devil tries to come and snatch your joy. Now, I want you to think about that for a few moments. The times that you've had exciting worship in your life, you've been here at Longview Point and just had a great, awesome Wednesday night or Sunday morning or when you're at your small, uh, in your small groups and you just have an awesome time or you have a blessing. God just blesses you in just an awesome way in your life. And it's not long after that, if you're not careful, then Satan tries to come and snatch your joy. He not only tries to snap your joy and my joy, but he also tries to snap, uh, take away our enthusiasm. He tries to pull the rug out from us, up from under us spiritually. And with great victory, and I want to make sure that you understand this, that with great victory comes great trials. So if we're going to be victorious in the Lord, we have to understand and realize there will be great trials that come along with that. Now, with that being said, when we look at the text tonight, and when you think about Jesus, and when you think about the particular uh, setting and what's going on at this very moment here, you look at your outline, and I just put down a few things there in your outline, that in the text tonight, we find that uh, Jesus leads the the height of experience at the Jordan River. The heaven, if the heavens open up and announce in God's voice, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, this is all leading up to what we're talking about tonight. And even though the heavens open up and God with his own voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The scripture does not tell us exactly what Jesus was doing or had been doing. But we know that it is good. And the reason why we know that it is good is because it pleased the Father. Because the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so between the lofty heights of the Jordan, there is the depths of the desert. And at the Jordan, I want you to think about this, that at the Jordan we're about to talk about and study tonight. I want you to think about this. Now, a lot of great things had gone on leading up to this moment. Jesus being baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. Heaven opening up and the dove descending. God himself is saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, all of these great things have gone on. Great experience in everything. And so at the Jordan, his ministry is affirmed. Through doing all of this, God affirms Jesus' ministry. But it is in the desert that his ministry is attacked or in the wilderness where his ministry is attacked. So now all that has happened, all that has transpired with the heavens opening up, being baptized, God the Father now has affirmed Jesus' ministry. And now the scripture tells us tonight that Jesus has been led into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Scripture also tells us that after that he was hungry and who comes to see about him? It wasn't God, but it was Satan. And so, again, I want to make sure that you understand that at one moment, his ministry is being affirmed. 
by God the Father. But in the next moment, his ministry is being attacked. And the moment that God affirms you and I, the moment that God affirms you and I just as he affirmed Jesus, it is in that same hour that the devil will come and he will try to attack you and I. And this is one of the most dangerous places for a Christian to be because if you think about it, Satan doesn't come to see about you when everything is going good. When the bills are paid, the children are acting right, the marriage is going great, and you're getting along with one another, you're holding each other's hands, and you hadn't done that in a long time, looking at each other's with puppy eyes and everything. Satan does not come to see about you. But it is in your most vulnerable state when Satan tends to come to see about you and I. Now, if you don't believe me, I want you to think about it in terms like this. Many of you tonight, before you got here, or before you got to your chair, you've had supper or dinner, whichever one you want to call it. Now, you can eat anything you want. And typically, when you can eat anything you want, typically, you're not in the mood for certain things. But when you decide to go on a diet, when you decide to discipline yourself and say, I'm not going to drink all the caffeine that I normally drink. Now, remember, prior to that, you could drink all the caffeine you want, and you can eat anything that you want. And typically, you're not drinking it. You don't find yourself drinking as much, and you don't find yourself eating as much, even though you could have anything you want. But the minute you decide to discipline yourself and say that I'm not going to eat that cake, I'm not going to drink that uh, extra cup of coffee, Satan will use somebody to stop by and offer you an extra carrot cake extra cup of coffee. And so my point that I'm trying to make to you again is Satan comes to see about us in our weakest moments. And when you look here at the text tonight, Christ is in one of his weakest moments because the text tells us not only has he been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, but the Bible said after that he was hungry. And so when we think about that and when we realize when God affirms us, again, it's in that same hour that Satan will attack you and I. This desert experience, the wilderness experience, is, an ex is not an escape from reality. But it is an engagement with the internal. And when you read the Bible, and I want to make sure that you understand, that every time that you and I read the Bible, and every challenge in the Bible that is in the wilderness, God gives victory. Anytime you read the Bible and you think about the Bible and you think about anybody who has had a, what I would call a wilderness experience, and if they truly have a relationship with God and they're with God, God will give them the victory. Now, if you don't believe me, think about Abraham. Abraham in the wilderness. And think about uh, the commandment that he gave God to sacrifice his son. And because of Abraham's obedience there in the wilderness, God provided a ram in the bush where he didn't have to sacrifice uh, his son. Think about Moses on the backside of the desert. Again, uh, seeing a bush that was on fire and yet it didn't burn up. And the challenges that he had to face with Pharaoh, telling Pharaoh to let God's people go. And even though it was tough, still at the end, we know that God gave Moses uh, the victory. Even when you think about David, 
who had to run around in the wilderness and run and hide from the insanity of Saul. And yet God still kept David and gave David victory. So again, I want to just remind you, if you find yourself in the wilderness and wandering around in the wilderness, if you truly have a relationship with God, no matter what the challenge may be in your wilderness experience, God will always give you the victory. And so when we think about that and when we think about God giving uh, the victory, when we continue to look at the text and we see that Jesus is now in the wilderness and Satan has come uh, to see about him, there's a couple of things I want to make sure that you understand. Jesus here in the text who represents the second Adam. He, rec he represents the second Adam, and Jesus has come to take back from Satan what he stole from Adam in the first place. If you think about Adam and you go back to the Garden of Eden, you, you have to remember that Adam ate from that forbidden tree. And in, and in eating from that forbidden uh, tree, some people say it was a fruit. Other scholars say this or that, and I, I won't debate about that tonight. But we do know the tree that he was told not to eat from, and he did that. And as a result of eating from that uh, forbidden tree, what Adam did, the first Adam, he forfeited the, king, the, uh, the keys to the earth. And not only did he forfeit the keys to the earth, but he also, he away what God had given to him, he gave it to Satan. Now, just go with me because all this is going to tie in in just a moment. And I'm going to show you how Jesus being in the wilderness, being the second Adam, and he had to do what the first Adam couldn't do, how all of that plays into what I'm talking about uh, tonight. And yet, so again, Adam forfeit. He gave to Satan what God had given to him. And Satan, who is now the prince of the air, ruler of the world, because Adam freely gave to him what God had given to him. And now because of that, here you have Jesus, who's on the scene now, who is the second Adam, who has come to take back what Satan stole from the first Adam. Now, when you look at the text tonight, when you think about this text tonight and what has just been read to us, uh, sometimes, if you're not careful, there are some points that can uh, be overlooked. There's some points that can be overlooked in this temptation that uh, Satan was trying to, and what I would call it, trying to tempt Jesus. And so I want you to look at the first thing here is the nature of Satan's attack. That should be on your outline. Sometimes I don't believe we pay enough attention to the nature, the nature of Satan's attack. Now, when you think about Satan's attack and how he went about trying to attack Jesus, there's a couple of things that stood out in this text to me tonight. First thing you need to understand and you need to realize that Satan's temptation toward Jesus in the wilderness were all concentrated on trying. In other words, Satan wanted Jesus to fight him on a divine level and not the human level. But here's the thing that you have to understand and you realize, and you may ask the question, well, shouldn't he have fought Satan on a divine level? Wouldn't that have made better sense, Brotherhood, if Jesus had a fought Satan on the divine level? And I want to explain to you why that didn't make sense and why Christ could not do that. Because it's only a human who could rob Satan of his power. 
because it was a human in the first place who gave it up to Satan. In other words, when you go back and you think about Adam and you think about what God gave Adam and Adam being human, Adam gave what God gave to him, he gave it to Satan. So in order to take back what Satan stole from Adam, Jesus had to be in the flesh and not only human-wise but 100%. He's still God in the flesh, but at this particular time and going in the wilderness, Jesus had to divest himself spiritually of the power that he had. Thus, the only time that he would get power is when God the Father would give him power. And so when we continue to look at the text and when you continue uh, to think about what I'm trying to convey over in the text tonight, when you read the text and you think about uh, Satan here, Satan never calls Jesus son of man. He never calls him son of man. He said, if thou be the son of God, if thou be the Christ, in other words, he never calls him man. In other words, if you are who you say you are. But the thing that I want to make sure that you understand that this is not the first encounter that Satan has had with Jesus. Satan is not a stranger to Jesus. And, but look how he tries to play mind games with Jesus here in the text. If you are who you say you are. And so he never calls Jesus the son of God because he, he wants Jesus. He wants to rob Jesus of his humanity. Remember, Satan is wanting Jesus to fight him on a divine level and not on a human level. But remember what I shared with you. In order for Jesus to take back what Satan stole from Adam, Jesus had to divest himself uh, divinely, and he had to deal with Satan in the flesh. Now, the reason why he had to deal with Satan in the flesh is to show you and I today that any challenges that we meet, no matter what Satan may throw our way, if we are in Christ and truly in Christ and know his word, believe his word, live by his word, he will eventually give us the victory. And so it was only a man at this particular time, only a man that could save us, but not just any man. This, again, had to be Jesus Christ, but a man nevertheless. It was a man who got us in trouble in the first place. Again, going back, when you think about Adam, the reason why we were in, found ourselves in the situation that we did is because of what happened to Adam and Eve. And now you fast forward it back to the scripture what we're talking about. And when you think about this, when you think about it was a man who got us in trouble in the first place, I want you to think about it in terms like this. Man sinned in the garden. Jesus redeemed in the garden. Man, man sinned with a woman, and yet God redeemed with a woman. Man sinned on a tree, and yet God redeemed on a tree. Again, trying to show you the parallels, trying to show you how Christ, the second Adam, had to come back and do what the first Adam could not do in the first place. And so since this was God that redeemed on a tree, and I see some of you trying to write that down, so I'll say it again. Man sinned in a garden. Jesus redeemed in a garden. Man sinned with a woman. And yet God redeemed with a woman. Man sinned on a tree, and yet 
God redeemed on a tree. And everything that Satan stole from us in Genesis, God took it all back right here in Matthew chapter 4. So that was a long story going from Genesis, but eventually I got us back here to the book of Matthew. Everything that Satan took from Adam in the book of Genesis, now we're here in Matthew chapter 4, and God took it all back. And so the Bible tells us that he's our kinsman, he's our redeemer. He snatches back from the devil our humanity. The Bible states, and you have it right there in your outline, the Bible states that there are three great enemies of the Christian man or woman. There are three great enemies of the Christian man or woman. Again, and I want to make sure that you understand this because, again, I want you to go back and I want you to think about the title of this lesson or sermon tonight, The Most Dangerous Place for a Christian. Things can be going good for you in your life right now. Just as things were going good for Jesus, being baptized, heaven opened up, the Lord speaking and saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And in that same hour, Satan comes to see about him after all of these great things has happened. And so great things may be going on in your life and in my life right now, but we have to keep in mind the three great enemy of the Christian man and Christian woman. First one is the lust of the flesh. And it's there in your outline. The second one is the lust of the eyes. And then the third one is the pride of life. Now, where I got this from, I got it all right here out of the text. Everything that Satan tried to tempt Jesus with. He tried to tempt him by way of the flesh. He tried to tempt him by way of the eyes, trying to show him uh, uh, everything that he would uh, give him. And then the pride of life. These are the three main enemies of the Christian man and Christian woman. And yet, Jesus comes to prove that we can live victoriously over the devil's test. And again, I want to make sure that you understand. If you have a relationship with Christ, you need to understand and you need to realize and you need to stop being surprised when Satan tempts you. You need to quit acting as if or ask that question, why me? Why not you? Are we better than Christ? Christ who did no wrong, no sin, and yet Satan still tried to tempt him? So who are you and I not to be tempted? And so if we're going to walk with Christ, if we're going to have a relationship with Christ, you need to expect that sometime in your life, there's going to be a season or seasons in your life when Satan is going to not only stop by, but he's going to ring your doorbell and you're going to open up the door and he's going to be standing right there and he's going to have luggage because he's going to move in and he's going to stay with you for a season. Sometimes it can be like the mother-in-law or the father-in-law, and you think they're only coming to stay for a day or two. And then when they, you open up the door and you look down, and they got four or five suitcases, and you're like, really? I guess some of y'all have never experienced that. Okay. And so, so Jesus proves that we can live victoriously, that you and I can live victoriously over the devil's test. And so he tests them in the flesh. And if, if he's able to test Jesus in the flesh, Satan wins. 
If he's able to test them by the eyes, Satan wins. If he's able to test them with the pride of life, Satan wins. If we ever overcome the flesh, if we ever overcome the eyes, if we ever overcome the pride of life, we will have victory in our Christian experience with Jesus Christ. Jesus here again, the Bible tells us he's been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Just as Israel had been in the wilderness for 40 years. When you, again, when you think about the text here tonight, Jesus is 100% man because, again, he divests himself of his divine power only to have power when it is given to him by God the Father. Now, as a man, he is subject to everything that you and I are subject to except without sin. So sometimes if you're not careful uh, I know before I truly, really had an understanding of Christianity, before I truly had the deep relationship with God, sometimes I would make the, this is the statement that I would say, when I found myself going through things, Satan come and move in my house and seemed like he would never leave, things happened and I didn't understand, I would say this to God, God, it just seemed like you don't understand. But guess what? God does understand. Because everything that you and I are going through or will go through, think about this text right here. He divested himself divinely and he became man 100% to experience everything that you and I will ever go through except he did it without sin. And so, again, we may not always pass the test. We may not always do it in such a way that's pleasing and acceptable to God, and yet when we go back and when we repent, God understands. So when you're shedding tears, those of you who are sitting here tonight, and you're smiling on the outside, but on the inside, you're crying right now because of some things that you're going through, and you don't want to tell anybody right now, or you don't want anybody to know, know that God understands. A child that, that is acting up, and you didn't raise them like that. And you wonder and ponder, where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? It's not that you did anything wrong, but understand, God understands. Somebody you love so much, but you finally had to say goodbye to them. God understands. And so as a man, again, he's subject to everything we are subject to except without sin. The Bible said, as a man, he is hungry. And Satan will always come to you, and I just talked about that a few moments ago. Satan will always come to see about you and I in our weakest moments. Again, if you don't believe me, when you leave here tonight, again, all, remember, as long as you're not on a diet, you can eat anything you want, but the minute you try to put something down, Satan will use somebody. The moment you try to quit watching TV and going to put that to the side, your telephone will ring. Somebody will call you up and say, you need to watch X, Y, Z, or you, you give up Facebook or whatever it is. Satan is going to use somebody at that very moment because that's the moment where you're the weakest. And so he will test you in what you are in need of to get it without God. Satan doesn't want Jesus to fight as God, but he attacks him as a man. And I've already stated that. Satan wants Jesus, uh, brothers and sisters, again, I want to make sure uh, that you understand. 
that Satan wants Jesus to dedicate his ministry to changing the world but not saving it. If you think about the text here tonight, he said, when you think about the stones, since you're hungry, and I'm paraphrasing, since you're hungry, command these stones to become bread. Again, Satan wanted Jesus to use his ministry to change the world but not save the world. And here's why that is so dangerous for a Christian to be at or a dangerous place for a Christian to be in. It's because you and I can go undergo change and never get saved. You can get a new hairstyle. You can get new clothes, new shoes, a new car, a new home. You used to frown all the time and you smile. And guess what? If you don't know Jesus and the partner of your sins, a lot of stuff about you have changed. You still are not saved. Does that make sense? Great. Great. And so Jesus, Jesus is the only one that can save. And so when we think about this and when we think about what Satan is trying to do, how he's trying to attack Jesus, we must understand and we must realize that it is nature is the one that forms us. Sin deforms us environments conform us, schools inform us, prisons reform us, but it is only Jesus Christ who can transform us. I believe that's worth saying one more time. Nature forms us, sin deforms us, environments conform us, Schools inform us. Prisons reform us. But it is only Jesus Christ who can transform us. So why is that all important? Why is that so significant, Brother Brian, tonight? And here's the reason why it's so significant. It's because Jesus did not come to change the world, but he came to save the world. And if we're not careful, brothers and sisters, we will find ourselves trying to change the world and not save the world. And you need to make sure that I don't care who you come in contact with. I don't care what you are involved in and all the extracurricular activities, the things that you do outside of these four walls. While they may be great, you need to make sure and understand that Christ did not call you. He did not call I to try to change the world, but he called us to save the world. So in witnessing the people and sharing your testimony and the things that you do, whether it's feeding people, clothing ministry, whatever it is that God has called you to, are you trying to change people or are you trying to save people? That's just food. Uh, that's just food for thought. And so Jesus could have used his Uh, divine power to turn stones into bread and save people from their hunger, or he could have used his humanity and appealed to God and save people from their sins. And the greatest hunger, and I want to make sure that you understand, because the Bible said that Jesus was hungry. Satan tells Jesus, if you're hungry, and since you're hungry, command these stones to become bread. And again, Jesus didn't come to change the world, but he came to save the world. The greatest hunger of the human soul isn't physical bread. The greatest hunger 
of a human soul is not physical bread. And if we're not careful, we will throw money at things. People need this and they need that. And don't get me wrong, money is good in its perspective. Resources are good in their proper place. But a lot of times I found out in my 25 years of ministry and 15 years of being a senior pastor, I found out that a lot of times it wasn't physical food that a person needed. It wasn't so much money that an individual needed. Because if money solved the problem, the same people that I would try to help financially, 30 days later, they're right back where they started from. Same people who I tried to feed constantly, whether it was a hamburger, a hot dog, whatever the case may be, guess what? Tomorrow, they wanted a fish sandwich. The next day, they wanted a steak and so forth. But the greatest hunger of the human soul isn't physical bread. The greatest hunger of the human soul is for a relationship with its creator. We have to have a relationship with God. There has to be. There must be a relationship with God. Because there are just some things that food cannot satisfy. If you need a peace of mind, and your workplace is driving you crazy. Children are running you crazy. And if you're like my wife, and sometimes people will ask her how many children you have. Now, I want you to understand we have three kids. There's three kids and two adults in the house. And sometimes when individuals ask my wife how many children she has, she said, I've got four. And I'm trying to scratch my head. Wait a second. I'm thinking about Lily, Donovan, and Paige because those are the three kids that we have. And then the light bulb goes off in my head. Oh, she's talking about me. And so sometimes the home can become too much. Sometimes work can become too much. Sometimes family ordeal. Sometimes as much as we love our family, sometimes we wish we could disown them sometime. When they come around and people say, are you related? You just turn your head and hope they don't even recognize you. So money, food, clothing, those things will not give you a peace of mind. Those things will not bring satisfaction to you and I. But it is only the Word of God. It is only Jesus Christ that is able to give you and I a peace of mind in a dark world, a peace of mind in a world that is turned upside down, a peace of mind when it seemed like everybody else is crazy except you. It is only Jesus Christ who then is able to give you and I a peace of mind. So when we need our lives straight now, no amount of money or food can take care of that. Only the word of God. Now, I want to make sure that you understand. Now, when you continue to look at the text and you think about what Jesus is saying here in the text, notice how many times, every time Satan tries to attack him and Satan tries to quote this and quote that, Notice Jesus comes back with him with the word. And the reason why we know Jesus comes back with him with the word, because Jesus said, it is written. And constantly, you will continue to read where Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Now, here's something I want to make sure you ought to write this down, text it to yourself. You have no business getting excited about worship, about a Bible study or anything else, if you don't know the word. Matter of fact, I don't even see how you can get excited about worship, how you can get excited about a small group or anything of that nature when you don't know the word. 
Because the things that Satan will throw at you, the seasons of life that you will find yourself in, the only way that you're going to be able to fight back is with the word. And if you don't know the word, Satan will definitely have a field day with you and I. Sometimes I, I, I think about uh, the movie The Shawshank Redemption, and Morgan Freeman has a statement in that movie that, uh, that stands out in my mind. He says, uh, him and some others that are in the movie there, and they're right there, I guess, I think they're in prison or standing outside of the prison. I can't remember. But nevertheless, he said, and the next thing you know, you get used to them. And then the next thing you know, you begin to depend on them. Now, here's the reason why that statement stands out to me so much and how I can apply that to Matthew. Because, again, look what Satan was trying to do. He was trying to get Jesus to sin, trying to trip Jesus up, trying to get him to fall. And, brothers and sisters, Satan every day is trying to get you and I to fall. He's trying to find a way to trip us up. And if you and I are not careful, the same statement that Morgan Freeman made when he said the walls, the walls of the prison are funny because, again, he said, first you hate them, then you get used to them. And then he said, then you begin to depend on them. If you and I are not careful, that same thing can be applied to sin. First, you and I hate sin. Then we get used to sin. And then we become dependent on sin. This is why it's so important to know the word of God, to bathe yourself in the word of God. So when Satan comes, not if, it's not if Satan is coming to see you. It's just a matter of when he is going to come and visit you. And when he does come to visit you and I, you and I can respond to him in the same manner that Christ responded to him. It is written. And the reason why we can say it is written is because we know the word. We live by the word. We read the word. We study the word. We bathe ourselves in the word. Our DNA is made up of the word of God. So, when we again, the word of God and the word of God is so special because the word of God, brothers and sisters, it tears us apart. And that same word that tears you and I apart is that same word that will put us back together again. So, again, look what Satan is trying to do here. He's trying to attack Jesus. He's trying to trip Jesus up. And time and time again, Jesus continues to respond. Jesus continues uh, to tell him that uh, it is written. Notice again that every time that Satan talks to Jesus and he quotes Scripture, but yet he misquotes Scripture. And that's the thing that you have to, this is another reason why you need to know the Word. It's a dangerous place to be, or, or dangerous place to be, uh, for a Christian who don't know the word. Because if you don't know the word, Satan can come and tell you any and everything. Satan knows the word, but yet he's not going to tell you everything. Satan will show you, if you, if you think about it in uh, this terminology, and this is the way that I like to put it. When Satan is trying to trip you and I up, he will show us some green grass that's out there. He'll show us the front, the front part of it where it's green, but he'll never show you the back part of it that's brown and dead. 
because that's what he does. He's going to misquote time and time again because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But the only way that we're able to fight back, we have to know uh, the word of God. And so as I close tonight, as I close tonight because it's 7 o'clock and I'm done. I am done. I don't believe going no further. When God says that's enough, uh, that's enough. Christ in one moment was at a good place in his ministry. And God the Father affirmed that. But in a split second, Satan attacks his ministry. Satan will do the same thing to you and I. Things could be going good. God affirms everything that we're doing. He affirms our teaching. He affirms our witnessing. He affirms the way that we worship and we praise him. But then in the next minute, Satan will attack us, whether that's uh, causing trouble in our family, friends, on the job, even causing us to doubt ourselves. He will find some way to try to attack us. But the only way that we can fight back is through the word of God. But you cannot fight back if you don't know the word. Because, again, it is written. May God bless you tonight. May God keep you uh, is my prayer. Are there any comments, any remarks, or questions that you may have? Now, if you notice in the text, okay, somebody had their hand up. I can't see back. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, I, I can't hear you. I'm, okay, environment conforms. Mm-hmm. Now, notice, even though Jesus said it is written, here's the last thing. I want to make sure that you understand that even though uh, Jesus said it is written, if you go ahead and continue to read, the Scripture also tells us that at the end there, Satan finally leaves but he only leaves for a season. So what does that mean? Just because he leaves and he packs up all those bags that you seen when he first rang, rang your doorbell, he's coming back. But to be prepared, you got to know the word. God bless you. Anybody else? If not, thank you so much for tolerating me uh, tonight. I hope and pray uh, that there was something that you could take away uh, from this lesson tonight to help you uh, become a much better Christian uh, in the Lord. Uh, again, I want to thank you as we get ready to leave tonight. Thank, I want to thank so many of you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for uh, your support. I was told today that there's a lot of support coming in from people who are praying, people who are giving financially, people who continue to ask what is it that we can do. And I just want to take the time to say thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart because you did not have to do these things and I pray that God will continue to bless you as we partner together uh, to reach more people for kingdom's sake. Okay? God bless you. God keep you. We're going to have a word of prayer and I'm going to go ahead and pray for all those other things that we would typically pray about on the first half and then you guys, I guess, will be getting out early. Don't tell Brother Wade, okay? Let us bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word tonight, Heavenly Father. We thank you for showing us that there are some dangerous places that we can find ourselves in if we're not careful. But we thank you now, Father, for your word. We thank you for showing us that 
in order to fight Satan and when he comes to visit us and to see us, that we have to know your word. And we thank you for that tonight. I thank you for all that are here tonight. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will just keep your arms around this church family, around our senior pastor and all the staff that are here, the vision that the pastor has for this church. I pray that you will keep him and those, Heavenly Father, that you have touched to help him carry out the vision that you've given him. Thank you for the community in which we live in. Thank you for this country in which we live in, Heavenly Father. I just thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for salvation. And as we leave here tonight, Heavenly Father, I just pray that you will continue to build us up where we've been torn down. Strengthen us where we're weak. Thank you for all the great things that you're allowing uh, to go on. Thank you for the new church plant. Thank you for the people who are partnering in so many ways. And I pray that you will keep them in your care as well. And then as we get ready to leave here tonight, Father God, I pray for traveling grace. I pray that you give all of us traveling grace, that we make it to our destination safely and soundly. And when we get there, we'll be sure to give you all the praise, all the honor and glory that you so much deserve. For this is my prayer. I pray in Jesus' sweet and precious holy name. Let us all say together, amen. Good night.